Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by a lawyer, writer, and amateur painter. We add author to her resume as she's now released her debut novel, which was almost called Memento Mori. Look for it in bookstores as What Meets the Eye. We welcome author Alex Kenna. Thank you for having me. Alex, let's go beyond the mic. Lawyer during the day, mom, painter at night. What was the origin of What Meets the Eye? I had took a little break from painting when I was starting to think about having my kid and then was just looking for another creative outlet. When the pandemic hit, I was at home working uh, telecommute a lot of the time. I got pregnant. I couldn't really go out much, got totally stir crazy. And then writing just kind of became an outlet, a way to uh, keep my brain from atrophying. Now, as a prosecutor, you have the story you want to tell a jury. You set it up in your opening argument, bring witnesses to give evidence and support it, and then wrap it all up with a strong closing statement. How did this practice help with writing this novel? I think it helped a lot because trial law is a lot about telling a story. You have to keep a jury's interests. You have to find the best way to present evidence. You have to explain why something matters. And I think it's also, uh, there's a the nerves that kind of come with having to present a case, I think there's definitely a parallel to the nerves with putting your work out there and, you know, getting judged and, you know, maybe some people will think you're not worthy, not like it. So I think some of the skills that definitely transferred. What makes the art world thrilling and yet sketchy at the same time? Uh, well, if you love art, it's it's always interesting. And the uh, the huge swings in, in prices, the glamour that comes with it, the scandals. I think every time that you have uh, something in the arts with crazy personalities and beautiful things to look at, there's, there's definitely an interest. But there's definitely a, a sketchy side of things with that. Uh, just the amount of money. Every time there's a, a huge amount of money at play, there's always a dark side. And I worked at a, in a gallery for a few months, which is one of the things that kind of inspired this book right when the Great Recession hit. So I got to see the dark side in that people don't always ask, act their best when suddenly you've gone from an upswing to, to a downswing, which I, I saw happen pretty much live. That was definitely a sketchier experience. What was the most expensive piece you ever sold as oh my god it's um it probably would have i want to say it would have been low six figures but it's i think i it's been like 15 years so there are definitely a couple like very expensive pieces that i almost sold where you know you're working on commission and you know you think oh my god this is gonna be my month and then all of a sudden the person's like yeah you know i don't think so i mean are you a banksy fan oh yeah do you consider art because he uses stencils or is that just a form that it's acceptable for you. Definitely. No, I'm not. I'm not any kind of purist. I think if it's good, if it's powerful, if it has something to say, then it's definitely art. Your main character, Kate, has a challenging relationship with her daughter, especially because of her ex. How has your own relationship with your son influenced the way you wrote Kate and the love she has for Amelia? That was an interesting process because I didn't have a kid when I first wrote the book. And then you have a kid and then it definitely changes things. So going back in, in subsequent drafts, I definitely made made certain changes. Like you realize that when you have a kid, you're, you know, you, you're staring at cute pictures of the kid on your phone all day and you're thinking about the kid. And I definitely when I first wrote the book, it came off like a person with no children writing about somebody who had a kid. And that was something that I, I kind of had to go back. And I also made a couple adjustments because I. I hadn't been around a lot of seven-year-olds, and luckily I have a, a brilliant editor who has uh, older children, and she was giving me all kinds of notes like, seven-year-olds know how to brush their teeth. I'm like, okay, 
Now I know, going back and changing that. It's time for the Rocky and 8. Alex has been worried about it. It's just eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind, Alex. There is no pressure. Okay. Best place to take your dog, Zelda, for a walk in L.A.? Eden Canyon. Why? It's a low elevation hike, not too many dogs around, and beautiful views. Is there one thing you miss from Washington, D.C.? Not having to drive everywhere. Alex, should artists be held to the same moral standards as the rest of the world? As a person, yes, uh, but it doesn't mean that you have to stop looking at their work when you find out that they're an (laughs) a-hole. Did we really need the Sex in the City revival? I don't think we needed any of the Sex in the Cities. Why? Well, I like to think that women are a little more multidimensional than their, you know, Saturday night activities. But, um, you know, it, 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 it had its point in its place in time. Now, you like shopping flea markets with your husband. What is your best flea market find? Oof. Well, my husband would say our best near flea market find was an antique toilet that he wanted to buy for our house as a chair, but I nixed that one. So, um, <laughs> no, you aren't bringing that home. I'd probably say I got a couple antique lamps uh, that uh, we've got in our living room, a couple couple pieces of vintage jewelry. What was the wildest thing you did before marriage? Oof, I spent a summer in Germany. Definitely. Definitely had a good time. Um, (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. You started as a visual artist doing figure drawing during your teens. However, I want to know what body part was the hardest for you to draw? Probably hands. I think hands are notorious. I think everybody wants, everybody, when they first start drawing, they want to draw the face. And the face is fun. The face is exciting. And then there's the moment of like, oh, it's connected to this thing. Yeah, just uh, hands are probably the biggest challenge. And it's, it's supposed to be the sign of whether somebody actually knows what they're doing is if they can render hands. I know hands. It's just kind of weird. Where's the best place on the Penn campus? Oof. Best place on the Penn campus, Fine Arts Library. Why? It's beautiful. It's this crazy 19th century building that's full of books about arts artists from all over the place. And, you know, I have fond memories of being, you know, 18 and, and staring at, uh, you know, bohemian boys and pretending to look at books. So that's got a, I definitely have a soft spot in my heart. It's time for the back half with Alex Skinner author of What Meets the Eye Beyond the Mic. Alex, before law school, you studied painting and art history. Why are these topics similar and yet very different? There's a very different way, I think, of thinking about art for, from an art perspective and from an art history perspective. And I think a lot of, I think art historians don't necessarily think about how art's made from like a visual perspective. And I think sometimes things are missed. When you're an artist, you kind of think about how something was put together, what this person was looking at. You know, you notice little, I don't want to say flaws because I'm, you know, you're not judging the the masters, but nobody's perfect, even the people in museums. And then, you know, art history, you want to put everything in context. You know, how does this relate to, you know, was there a war going on? What was the political scheme? Whereas as an artist, you're just like, oh, that orange is amazing. As an artist, what's your favorite color that you absolutely overuse? probably turquoise just yeah turquoise green yeah i like i like the bright colors you have experienced the art world but you didn't love it enough to stay there instead of well you fell in love with the law how has the art world helped and hurt you i think there's definitely a parallel universe where i i could have stayed in the art world i think it's just it's a really hard universe to break into especially you know i was a a middle class girl with no connections and i graduated at a, you know at a horrible time like 2008 where you know nobody was getting a job and you know i i painted 
elephant seals for my thesis, which is not really the best thing to be telling prospective employers. I'm like, hello, you should hire me. I may not have any transferable skills, but I promise I'm a hard worker. But, you know, there's there's a parallel universe if I'd had like, you know, a rich uncle who was on the board of the Getty and wanted to, you know, hire me for something in the arts where, you know, things might have might have gone differently. You know, the art world, it, it's, it affects how I think. It, it affects how I see, you know, literature too, just because you, you know, you, you kind of learn how to make something and you learn how to think creatively and that applies across different di- disciplines. So that's definitely affected me as a writer. Uh, if in terms of professionally, I can't say it's helped me the most, but you know, we all, we all, you know, live and learn. Now, in which way did the first draft of what meets the eye to the final episode, I mean, what changed the most? Well, I think from the first couple, the first couple chapters, uh, my main character Kate was a male police officer. Really? So that was a pretty, pretty different, pretty big difference. I added. Other than that, I think I, I had a different. I had a lot less of Margot, my victim. I had maybe one chapter from her perspective, and then. Uh, as, as I kind of went along, I, I thought that she needed more of a voice. And, you know, I liked that she was a bit of a jerk and wanted to kind of explore things from her perspective a little bit more. Although, you know, I, I kind of wrote her as a borderline psychopath and all my friends are like, when I read her, I think of you. So I don't know what that says. Alex, you talk about voice. You spend the book not from one point of view, but bouncing between several points, which is unusual. Why was that important for your story? I, well, I think part of it was that I, I wanted to give a voice to the artist. And I think one of the one of the things that I was interested in exploring is um, back, I guess, from Margot was influenced by a lot of artists who kind of blended art and life. And I was interested in having an element in my book that kind of added crime to the mix or having an art projects that kind of blended art and real life and also some criminal activities. And I don't want to go into too much detail because of spoilers, but in order, I thought in order to do that, I kind of needed to show how she was thinking and what perspective that she was coming from. And then um, there's another artist who has kind of a smaller role in the book, but I also wanted to have at least one chapter from his perspective because I thought I kind of owed it to him because I sort of put him through the ringer so he could at least have a little bit of a voice. And, you know, I think you asked me earlier about how law affects my writing. And, you know, as a as a trial attorney, if you think a lot about presenting evidence, avoiding hearsay, make, you know, making things as direct as possible and for, to me, I think it's a little bit more dynamic in writing when when you have a story that where you have things happening live, especially in a murder mystery, as opposed to when everything is done after the fact. And obviously, there's some of that because there's a sleuth and everything. But when every chapter is just interviews, I think sometimes that can lag a bit. You know, obviously, I've read other books where people do that the whole time, and I'm on the edge of my seat. As a prosecutor, your job is to bring the evil in our society to justice. In a world of black and white, there's a million shades of gray. I want to know who influenced your ideals of right and wrong. I I mean, my my parents, I think, both have had very strong ideals of right and wrong. You know, I think it's just, it was just something that was definitely something that I grew up on uh, with my grandparents as well. Um, My grandfather was a doctor, uh, a very fine man, and he had uh, very definitely very strong ideas about helping people in public service. Um, He worked for the VA for his career. So I think probably uh, they were all pretty major factors. How have they evolved through the years? I think, if anything, probably you become more compassionate because you see um, the you see the people who are are having a hard time. You see people who this is not not the easiest point in their life that people are going through. I think you also developed a sense of perspective. And I think I will say, uh, you know, if somebody cuts me off, I'm much less 
it doesn't really bother me as much because, you know, your perspective is like, well, you know, you're a bad driver. Oh, pulling into that spot. That's annoying. But in the scheme of things, well, you know, they're... It's not the worst. The book is What Meets the Eye. Alex Kenna joins us beyond the mic. Alex, growing up, who mentored and influenced you the most, other than family? I'm, you know, I'm think I'm I'm thinking about that, and I I think it would be hard to kind of say outside of family. I think my grand my parents were a big influence. My grandparents were a big influence. You know, I, I had some great teachers, but um, I do think it probably was was mostly family members growing up. Which writer influenced you from your youth to today? Who helped develop what your voice is now? I think probably the one who, I, who had affected me most was Tana French. I think partly be just because like I had I had started out as a painter. I never for some reason I never read mysteries. I I like binge watched mystery shows and I read true crime and like my brain just never made the extremely small leap that to go, "Oh, maybe maybe you should pick up genre books." Uh, and then one day it sort of clicked and I thought, you know, wow, maybe I should try this, but I wanted to start reading a lot before I attempted it. And then and she just she writes really beautifully and she was really good at certain things that I wanted to get better at. So you know, I think well, the one thing I kind of learned from my art background is if you want to, you know, when you want to learn how to do something, you have to look at people and you have to really analyze what they do well. So she was the writer where I read, I sort of binge read her books and tried to analyze, like sometimes like on a micro level, just like what is she doing in the scene that's working so well? How is she building tension so well? How is she like stage crafting these dialogue scenes where, like, you know, you can you can just see the characters almost like they're in front of you. So, um, you know, there are other writers who I th- who've, I've read who've completely blown me away, but I think just because I can't, when I came across her, I was, you know, in that earlier stage of developing as a writer that she probably affected me the most. You said earlier, you switched Kate from a male to a female perspective. Who are you closer to in private? Kate or Margot? I think in different ways, I have some things in connection with them. I think as a person, um, I'd like to think with a moral compass. I'd say that I'm closer to Kate. I think she has a lot of personality structure wise. I'm closer to Kate and she's, you know, she's got certain insecurities. She's a little bit of an introvert. She's got flaming ADHD. All traits I share. Margot, you know, I, I, I think Margot, you know, there was, there's one girl who I had in my art class who like was you know, we used to call her the troll because she was so evil, you know, especially in critiques. So that inspired it a little bit. I sort of thought a little bit about her in terms of personality structure, but the way Margot thinks about art, I think, and I guess a little bit her sense of humor that I feel like I probably put some of myself into it. And I sort of, you know, when I was thinking of her art projects, you know, obviously I'm not a professional painter. I, you know, I, was I'm good as a hobbyist. I'm, you know, not an art genius by any stretch of the imagination, but it was fun because I could have a little bit of uh, a fantasy element. I could think, you know, oh, well, let's pretend that I can draw like the masters. What would I do? What projects would I work on? So I think in in some of the, some of the artists who she liked, I think I, you know, the reason I could bring them up and they were kind of the tip of my tongue is because I liked them. The reason other than one or two where I maybe disagreed with Margot, but that's neither here nor there. So, but I think art, artistically in terms of how she thought about things, I think that I had in common with her. Sometimes the past haunts us. Did your art critique classes from the past find their way into this book? I mean, did the darkness of the past visit this? Oh, book? sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to like, I, I should say like, you know, the vast majority of art teachers I had were, you know, wonderful people who totally shaped me. You know, there's, there's occasional others. Like I think um, you know, I had one class that I ended up dropping where like, 
the professor had like this weird thing with clowns and you know he he like made us listen to this like music that was like a cross between Barnum and Bailey's and porn music and you know he did make us draw um, a model with a clown mask there was like a weird clown thing going on so that I, initially that was in the book a lot more and my husband was like this is weird no one wants to read it so I toned it down but <laughs> no you know. clowns yeah get that clown out of my head yeah the clown was the clown was was you know semi-inspired by a real person you know and i had another teacher i think there's a scene in that same scene at one point the teacher like uses takes someone's straw and uses it as a pointer and dumps it in the turpentine that happened to me but it was one particular teacher who like was not like the kindest uh, unlike again the vast majority of my art teachers and she at, at one point that person you know used my straw as a pointer and i thought that was entirely unnecessary but you know and critiques it you know, so, sometimes you get really helpful advice and it's actually, I think it's actually been really, really good training for, you know, when you, when you look at reviews, but um, sometimes it does turn into just like an evisceration fest of like, let's all opine about, you know, how everybody else's work is terrible. Uh, so, you know, I, I wanted to bring a little bit of, of that into the book because it was a memorable experience. How has writing this novel changed the way that you look at yourself? I think, well, I think I definitely... I never really thought of myself as a fiction writer. I had done, I had written before I did freelance writing, you know, a lot of uh, art reviews and movie reviews, well, I guess one or two movie reviews, but mostly art reviews beforehand. So, you know, I'd written from that perspective, but fiction was never something I tried before. I never thought about sitting down and trying to construct a plot. So that was exciting because I, I sort of tried it and I, and I realized that it was something that I could do. If you're enjoying these conversations, please check out another Beyond the Mic episode to find more actors, artists, and people you need to know. We'd also appreciate a like and subscribe on the Good Pods app. The book is What Meets the Eye. Alex cannot join us Beyond the Mic. Alex, what's your favorite book on that shelf behind you? I have to be honest, these are my husband's books. <laughs> so... These, these ones are his. My um, I uh, I married a huge book nerd, which is probably not surprising, but like it's it, it's like a pathological level. Like we we moved um, to LA, and he brought thirty six boxes of books with him, um, and that was like in our mid twenties. And it's oh, it's gotten worse from there. And obviously, I buy books too. So between the two of us, like our house is starting to get super weird. But these particular books behind me are his. Well, so as he's a book nerd, how hard was it? giving him the first draft for him to read and tear apart. He's actually a huge part. I have to say, and we, um, I wrote another book before this. It's not published. It was, um, a political thriller about elections. And we'll just say that my timing couldn't conceivably have been worse. So I, I put that back on the shelf, but, uh, that one, you know, I, I was, that was my first kind of experiment with trying to write. So I would kind of show it to him chapter by chapter because he's such a big reader. He's, he's somebody whose opinion I really trust. So yeah, I, I, you know, the, the poor man has read so many drafts of this book. Like if, you know, I, I, I had to throw him into my dedication because like it, it is, you know, well, well more than I had any right to expect. So what's the best thing about your husband? Uh, he's super, super smart and he's uh, super, super, um, you know, just selfless. Just he's, he helps me carve out time to, to do this. He takes care of the baby. You know, I've, I've definitely been very lucky in that department. Alex, what are you still working on as a writer? I'm putting the um, finishing touches on a sequel. Uh, it's a very different book. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I want to, I'm, I think I'm almost close, almost done with the, uh, the non-editing part. And then I have to go back and 
correct the, you know, 100,000 typos that, um, and I, I still have a homophone. I'm like the second grader who mixes up there, there, and there, except I'm a 37 year old lawyer. So it's really embarrassing. That's going to be next on that, on that stage. Okay. Alex spill it. Will we see Kate and Luke in a follow-up story? Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. Ooh, secrets from Alex Kenna. How would you describe your own art to someone? Well, um, I'm, I, I'm uh, really into paint handling, like thick paint, kind of impasto and bright colors, but, um, you know, a lot of weird stuff. I have, um, I went through a, a dinosaur skull phase in Technicolors, um, and my husband brought a couple into work. Um, not really sure, sure how that looks in a, in the office setting, but, you know, he likes them. So then I uh, have, have some abstract paintings. Yeah, it's definitely kind of all over the place. Now, you have so many stories you've been a part of. You've seen so many things that you probably can't even tell us. What's the best and worst thing being a prosecutor? I mean, I think as a, as a prosecutor, it obvious, I think that going to work and, and knowing that you can do the right thing, um, knowing that you're, you're, you're fighting for justice, I think that's, uh, you know, that's definitely a, a great thing to have and puts us in a, in a privileged position. I, you know, and then I guess just the, the downside is there's the term of vicarious trauma. And I think, you can see a lot of sad things and, you know, if you wouldn't be a person, if it didn't affect you, you know, I think that's, you know, that's definitely a downside, but it, it comes with the job. Well, what about being an author? As an author? I, well, the best part is getting to write the book and then you put it out in the world. And then, you know, I guess the worst part is just you know, realities of publishing. You know, it's a saturated market. It's a, you know, a tough place to break into, you know, and you, uh, you have to deal with just the, the whims of luck and timing. Now, rejection is hard. First rejection, judge says no to you, publisher says no to you. How has your first rejection as an author and a prosecutor changed you? I think, you know, just having graduated in the Great Recession was a great primer for rejection. So, you know, that's that's kind of the one good, that's one good thing that came out of that phase in my life, you know, you know, sitting sitting in my parents' house and and sending out cover letter after cover letter and then sitting at my grandparents' house, which really got desperate and sending out cover letter after cover letter. So I guess luckily I got used to rejection fairly early in life. You know, it is, I, I've uh, just, I, I think I try to kind of think of it, especially with the book is uh, as a numbers game where you apply to a million different agents. You know, you, you can't really think of it like, oh my God, you know, Agent Bob is my sole agent and they represent all these authors who I worship. You, the, oh, half, you know, it's just, it's not healthy. So I, uh, I just try to, you know, keep a positive attitude and think, okay, well, you know, I'm going to get a million rejections and I only need one yes. What's one thing people would be surprised to know about you? Oof, surprised to know about me. I, I, well, I'm pathologically shy, but I think at this point in my life, I've gotten pretty good at, uh, pretty good at hiding it. So, cause, uh, I've picked a couple different professional areas where I have to talk a lot, but, um, I guess that's probably something that's not readily apparent. How did your husband and you meet? We, uh, we met in law school. We were, I was uh, really good friends with his roommate and we were basically uh, her chemistry experiment. Really? Yeah. Well, she was very devious, actually. She would, you know, she kept telling me that, you know, he had a crush on me and he would talk about me. And she kept telling, you know, him, oh, how I had such a crush on him and yada, yada, yada. And it was all 
it was all BS. She was just making it up. She, I think she, you get really bored and you start getting a little crazy by, uh, by the end of, a, of the semester in law school. And I think she was, I think she was looking for some entertainment. Alex, what's justice to you? Justice is just, it's uh, doing the right thing, whatever that might be. And I, I think it's, uh, I think it's situation, it's nuanced and situation dependent. How has Kate changed the way you look at yourself and the world? I think she was someone who I think I, I don't know if it's necessarily something where it changed the way I looked at myself, but she was, I was interested in exploring with her um, the idea of somebody whose their whole sense of identity was kind of fallen apart and ripped away and they had to kind of refigure out who they were. And that I think was in part probably working out certain issues because when I wrote, when I was writing her, I had basically gone from, I had one job that I loved and I was around brilliant, dynamic people who were hilarious all the time. And then suddenly, you know, there was a pandemic. I had gestational diabetes and stayed at home all the time. I had no one to talk to, you know, and I definitely at that point in my life felt like this, you know, this aspect of my identity was kind of gone. And so that was just um, in some ways she was in, she was a way to kind of explore some of those themes, even though the things that happened to her that are were way way worse than anything that happened to me and she obviously had a very different background but um that was i don't know if she necessarily changed the way i think about myself but she um that was i did feel a little bit of a kinship with her in that way it's time for one big question with author alex kenna her book what meets the eye beyond the mic alex if you could have five questions with any artist who would it be and will be your first question wow um You know what? I don't think I would want to ask questions. I would just want their paintings. Really? Honestly, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I would come up with something, but honestly, I, I think I would trade the questions for a painting, even a little one. Where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. Um, I have a, a terrible website that I made myself, alexcanna.com, um, but Twitter is probably where I'm the most active. She has troubled drawing hands. Kept her husband from buying an antique toilet and was set up by a devious friend. What Meets the Eye is her book, and it's available at bookstores or online. We thank author Alex Kenna for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.